Oh my, uh, with the Russians, they have had every aspect of all of their planning for the last 40 years set on fire and burned to ash in less than a month. So number one, it will not be a quick war because Ukraine was one of the world's less militarily competent countries in the first place and they're still holding it out against the Russians. Taiwan has been preparing for this war since 1955. Taiwan has a moat. Taiwan has a nuclear program that started in 1974. So if we have a two-month accumulation of Chinese forces getting ready to push, the Taiwanese will see it because this is the only national security question that they pay any attention to. And they will make a nuclear device. And so the only way that the Chinese can even make a, an attempt on Taiwan is to text all of their soldiers at the same time and just say, everyone get to the coast, take a fishing boat with your buddies and start moving on Taiwan. They know it is going to cost them a million troops just to get there. So it's always been a heavier carry than we would ever consider in the way that we operate. But for the Chinese, they know baked into the equation that it's going to be a million troops lost before they can even start the real war. And they now know from Ukraine that it's not going to be a pushover. It's not going to be, a, it's, you know, Taiwan is mountainous. It's forested as opposed to Ukraine, which is flat and open and very few forests. I see China with not just a demographic failure, but a failure of leadership, a failure of policy, an agricultural failure, and an energy failure all at the same time. It is entirely possible that this is the last year of the People's Republic. Here's the Chinese demography in 1950, standard pre-industrial pyramid. 30 years on, here we are. This is early industrial China, and this is the shape that terrified Mao. He saw a young and upcoming generation that would literally eat China alive, and his solution was the one-child policy. Years after one child, we get this. Not a lot of kids, but that big bulge of people in their 20s and early 30s. When Americans look at this, we see an up-and-coming generation that's going to take away everyone's engineering jobs and manufacturing jobs. When the Chinese look at this, they see an up-and-coming young generation of spenders that are going to remake consumption norms. We were all correct. Were. Past tense. Because here's China now. As of January of 2020, when this data was pulled, China was already the fastest aging society in human history with the biggest sex imbalance. We already knew that their economic model would not match up with this demography this decade. We always knew that the economic collapse of China was coming. But since this data came out, the Chinese have started releasing parts of their 2020 decade census. And they're now grudgingly admitting that they overcounted their population by about 100 million people. And that the truth is probably closer to this with the yellow bars just not existing. This would suggest, and I say suggest because they haven't released everything, this would suggest that by the year 2050, there'll be half as many Chinese alive as there are now. I don't see how China survives as a single political entity, much less a globally significant one. I don't see how it survives this decade with these numbers, because this suggests that the Chinese population peaked back in 2003, and that Chinese economic efficiency probably peaked around the same time.
and that we've already been on a relatively accelerated slide. Now, we can't go to China and do a nose count. Can I ask just a question sure. on the previous slide? I'm sorry, is uh, Tori Murphy here, Captain U.S. Navy? Sure. I don't think I really ever heard it characterized that way uh, with respect to the demographics in China and the potential impacts when you look out to maybe, let's say, 2050. Sure. So when we have the great power competition discussions, right? It's all economics, it's all military, all the elements of the dime. But what you're saying is that from an basically internal to the country, they could almost implode under their own weight or the lack, lack of a population. Is that what I'm hearing? We're going to go into a number of other China adjacent issues in the rest of this presentation and show how each individual one is a regime killer. This is just the first. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, it's yeah, no problem. It's uh, yeah, I, I do not worry about China at all. Now, if you're in the Navy, I can understand why there's some heartburn there. <laughs> it's like a, you're probably preparing for a war that will never happen, but I'd rather you do that than what the Russians have done and not actually prepare. But I do not think that we are going to find ourselves in a world where we have to face down China because I do not think there is going to be a China for very much longer. Interesting. Thanks. No problem. We can't confirm this. We can't just go to China and look around and count noses. But here are some data that are like demographics adjacent that we do trust. So this is the average wages for a number of Southeast Asian countries that I think we should be interfacing with more because I think they're new very well in the future. Here are our Mexican compadres, very competitive. And here are the Chinese. This is the fastest labor appreciation in human history including during the Black Death, including during all wars. So we're looking at a 15-fold increase since 1999. Their labor effectiveness, productivity, is probably only increased by a factor of two, maybe three. There is not an industrial process that is done in China that can't be done in North America at a lower cost because our labor is so much more productive, our energy is so much cheaper, our supply lines are so much shorter, and you can produce stuff where people actually live, so the transport costs are minor. The only reason we think of China as a major industrial player is because of the sunk cost of the pre-existing industrial plant. You don't rebuild that somewhere else overnight, but it is happening. The United States is already in the process of its fastest industrialization, even faster than what we did during World War II. But it's a lot to move a few trillion dollars of industrial plant from one place to another. You don't do that overnight. We're living in the moment right now. We probably need to double the size of our industrial plant in the next five to 10 years. That'll be awkward, expensive, inflationary. But on the other side of it, we will have a far more insulated and secure supply chain system. The problem is just getting from here to there, and that is not a straight line, and there are a lot of bumps. Hey, Peter, uh, can I jump in really quick? Of course. Uh, Marie Slack, uh, United States Army. So I hate to take you back a slide, but I just wanted to follow up with one of what Tori asked you. Yeah, sure. Uh, you don't think the regime will last a couple decades, that you're not worried about China? I don't um, think it will last this decade to be specific. Okay. So why I just want your opinion on why you think they wouldn't take the same position as Russia like hey well this is this is the time to do it this is the only time I'll be successful if I try so let's go all in now you know take Taiwan take whatever you know reunify do everything they wanted to do in their grand strategy 
um, and and be desperate enough to do that? Why do you think that that wouldn't happen? I mean, they they've spent all the money building up their their forces and everything. Um, why wouldn't they take that chance? In your Great opinion, question. I was going to deal with that a little bit later, but we'll bring it forward if it makes sense here too. The Chinese plan has always been to let the Russians go first, just to kind of as a proof of concept. And so their thinking was a fast war that conquers Taiwan in a matter of days that imposes a done deal upon the world and everyone just sucks it up and takes it because China is too economically powerful to be challenged. And once you hold the territory, there's no point in going to a broad scale war against the Chinese when it's already happened. That's always been their plan. Oh my, uh, with the Russians, they have had every aspect of all of their planning for the last 40 years set on fire and burned to ash in less than a month. So number one, it will not be a quick war because Ukraine was one of the world's less militarily competent countries in the first place and they're still holding it out against the Russians. Taiwan has been preparing for this war since 1955. Taiwan has a moat. Taiwan has a nuclear program that started in 1974. So if we have a two-month accumulation of Chinese forces getting ready to push, the Taiwanese will see it because this is the only national security question that they pay any attention to. And they will make a nuclear device. And so the only way that the Chinese can even make a, an attempt on Taiwan is to text all of their soldiers at the same time and just say, everyone get to the coast, take a fishing boat with your buddies and start moving on Taiwan. They know it is gonna cost them a million troops just to get there. So it's always been a heavier carry than we would ever consider in the way that we operate. But for the Chinese, they know baked into the equation that it's gonna be a million troops lost before they can even start the real war. And they now know from Ukraine that it's not going to be a pushover. It's not going to be, a, it's, you know, Taiwan is mountainous. It's forested as opposed to Ukraine, which is flat and open and very few forests. Second, the sanctions. Russia has many flaws, but they're a massive producer of food and energy products. If you put the sanctions that we have put against Russia onto China, oh my, but uh, China is a, imports 85% of their energy, 85% of that from the Persian Gulf, and they import 85% of the inputs that are necessary to grow their food. So you would have an industrial collapse, a civilizational breakdown, and mass famine within six months. And then you would probably lose a half a billion Chinese over the course of the next year to famine. But I think the one that has scared the Chinese the most are the boycotts. BP and Halliburton didn't have to leave. They weren't doing anything that was sanctioned. But the super majors and the oil services firms and countless other firms left on a moral imperative prompted by individual shareholders and consumers. And in China, the idea that the average Joe or Jane can influence policy is so antithetical to their mindset that they had no idea this was even possible, much less it was going to happen. So everything that the Chinese have based their system and their strategic policy on for the last 30 years has been proven in the last two months to be utterly wrong. And they have to come up with a completely new plan. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I don't think they can. I don't think they have that capacity anymore. And so we just have Chairman Xi slamming his head into the wall over and over and over, incapable of change until his skull cracks. And that's where we are now.
I see China with not just a demographic failure, but a failure of leadership, a failure of policy, an agricultural failure, and an energy failure all at the same time. It is entirely possible that this is the last year of the, people, of the People's Republic, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, David Saddles, uh, U.S. Air Force, if, uh, if I may. So on the next slide, you had mentioned uh, manufacturing base in the United States versus the manufacturing base in China and that transition from you know, all the work that has been done since the 70s to, to build a manufacturing base in China. Um, sure. But your, your point about uh, the workforce, the labor uh, cost between unionized labor and environmental laws and worker protections in the United States that don't exist in China, were those costs baked into your, into your analysis on the fact that on your statement of the United States being cheaper oh, personnel-wise yes, than China? Absolutely. Uh, the Chinese don't have a very high value-added economy, and so in that sort of environment, if you are willing to dumb down labor costs and if you're willing to dumb down environment restrictions, it does give you a leg up. Absolutely. But because the United States produces energy at home versus importing it from several thousand miles away, our energy costs are so much cheaper. And because our educational system is so much better and American workers are so much higher value-added, we have now reached a point where the math has flipped. And Chinese labor has become so expensive, it uh, obviates all those other advantages. So like Mexican labor is half the cost and more highly skilled than Chinese labor, and that makes a big difference too. And remember, I said North American. So we do have a partner in this that makes the math work that way. Copy, I missed that uh, that nuance. Thanks. No, that's right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that labor restrictions and environmental restrictions don't come at a cost. Uh, I'm also not trying to suggest that all of them are are necessary. We have 50 states with 50 different labor markets and 50 different environmental sets of regulations, and some of them obviously are better at dealing with this than others. And that's why there are car manufacturer plants on the Alabama-Georgia border. For example. Absolutely. Big Sis is big sad. The Department of Homeland Security has been forced to suspend its creepy disinformation board before it even got off the ground. And its would-be leader, Nina Jankowicz, isn't taking it too well. So every characterization of the board that you've heard up until now has been incorrect. Uh, and frankly, it's kind of ironic that the board itself was taken over by disinformation when it was meant to fight it. Yeah. You know what's also kind of ironic? A unit to fight disinformation being headed up by you the queen of disinformation. You claimed the deep state doesn't exist. Um, talking about the deep state and things like that, which is a, a, a thread among conspiracy com communities here in the United States, that there is this secret cabal here in Washington working to undermine the American people. It couldn't be farther from the truth. That's disinformation. You promoted the claim that the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian propaganda. That's disinformation. You cited Christopher Steele as an expert on disinformation, the author of the infamous Trump P-gate dossier, which was wholly a product of disinformation. You defended and excused the behavior of Ukrainian paramilitary groups, including the Azov Battalion, while they were literally committing war crimes. That's disinformation. You falsely characterized parents' legitimate concerns about critical race theory being taught in schools as disinformation. That's disinformation. Disinformation. It's okay when we do it. It's kind of ironic. Then the disinformation board is being shut down because of disinformation? Isn't it interesting how there's almost a total Venn diagram overlap 
between disinformation and information that embarrasses the regime. Funny that, isn't it? Almost like the entire contrived moral panic over disinformation is just an excuse to shut down legitimate dissent. It's kind of ironic. As journalist Glenn Greenwald notes, she complains about right-wing disinformation scuppering the DHS disinfo board when the most devastating indictment of the whole operation and her was published by The Nation, a left-wing news outlet. It's kind of ironic. Newsflash. Large numbers of people being rightly concerned about the government literally launching a Ministry of Truth isn't a coordinated attack, isn't right-wing disinformation, it's speaking truth to power. All these sensationalist narratives about what the board was, uh, what people thought the board was going to do are completely wrong. It was a coordinating mechanism. Oh, don't worry, everyone. It was just a coordinating mechanism this isn't happening everyone look away please nothing to see here that just happened to be led by someone who literally said free speech makes her shudder by someone who said free speech was like quote fairy dust suggesting it doesn't even exist by somebody who demanded the power for trustworthy regime propagandists like her to edit your tweets um and i am eligible for it because i'm verified but there are a lot of people who shouldn't be verified who aren't, you know, legit, in my opinion. I mean, they are real people, but they're not um, trustworthy. Anyway, so verified people can um, essentially start to edit Twitter the, the same sort of way that Wikipedia is, so they can add context to certain tweets. This initiative wasn't involved in policing speech, and neither was I. No, they're not policing your speech. They're just editing your tweets by someone who wrote a book replete with bizarre hypothetical scenarios about men being sexist to her on the street, deploying the same words they use on social media. One example being TikTok, that's the sound of your biological clock ticking. Better go home and try to make a baby before it's too late, sweetheart. No eggs. You don't have any eggs. By someone who wrote in said book that such misogynists should be arrested by the police. By someone who called Elon Musk a quote, online abuser. By someone who said America was too free-spirited. By someone who said the lockdowns weren't draconian enough. By someone who literally tweeted quote, Force away! Lock us down! And by someone who sang with zealous glee about wanting to step on her enemies. I wanna be rich, famous, and powerful. Step on all my enemies and never do a thing. But according to Jankowitz, she's a nuanced, reasonable person. I have prided myself over my career of being a really nuanced, uh, reasonable person. Hold up, scary poppins. Let's do a quick recap. Free speech is sinister shudder-inducing and shouldn't exist. Approved regime apparatchiks should have the power to edit and censor your tweets. The government, run by her, gets to decide what's free speech and what's disinformation. Men should be thrown in prison for online misogyny and lock me down harder, daddy. So reasonable. Reasonable person. None of that sounds nuanced or reasonable but it does totally sound like a narcissistic control freak and someone who shouldn't be in charge of anything remotely related to free speech. She also ludicrously claims that she was non-partisan. To say that I'm just a partisan actor was, was wildly out of context. You amplified the P-gate dossier, a piece of actual disinformation that the regime pushed to try to stop Trump winning the election. You ceaselessly raged against Trump before the election, then amplified the actual disinformation 
that Russia interfered in it to help him win. You called on people to vote for Hillary Clinton, literally tweeting hashtag I'm with her, while claiming a Trump win would embolden ISIS. Trump actually destroyed ISIS. You were recruited by a left-wing anti-Trump resistance group in 2017. Your BFF is Taylor Lorenz, the hyper-partisan shit-lib journo who made a career out of doxing conservatives. The same left-wing activist who said you should be, quote, off limits from criticism, and you've got the nerve to claim you're non-partisan. I'm just a partisan actor was, was wildly out of context. Do you think we're stupid? Evidently, the answer is yes. <laughs> It's absolutely crucial for you to help me fight the war on free speech by supporting me via subscribe star, link in description, and also signing up for my free newsletter at summit.news forward slash newsletter. This board they were trying to set up, Sean, is nothing new. Woodrow Wilson, who was a racist segregationist and of course a Democrat, he set up something like this, and I'm sure Joe Biden would know something about it because he's been all those things through his career, too. Wilson issued executive order on April 13, 1917, committing, creating a committee on public information. It was a massive propaganda operation, a massive censorship operation. But I, I don't think we need her because they have MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, and all the rest of the reprobate media out there, so I don't know why they needed to be redundant with some government committee. That's number one. Number two, uh, Joe Biden is a one-man wrecking ball, and he's taken his idiocy to our economy. And the American people need to understand something, and I've said this before. You're living in the United States of the Democrat Party. They control all the elected branches of government. You're seeing what it's like. You're seeing what their promises are like when they're actually put into action. Why is the southern border open? Why is it open like this? What is their purpose? Obviously to import as many Democrats as they possibly can. That might backfire on them, but that's what they're doing. Why are they spending the way they're spending? They're collapsing the economy with inflation and so forth. They were warned about it, and yet they tell us the more they spend and the more debt you have, it actually fights inflation. Um, Joe Biden is obviously an economic illiterate, always has been. But you can go down issue after issue. They're a trashing of the United States Supreme Court. This is the Democrat Party of America. The attempt to nationalize the voting system to ensure the Democrats always win. Oh, that's a good one. What else? Well, what else do you need to know? Baby formula? I mean, what kind of an advanced country can't produce enough baby formula? And he blames it on whom? The private sector. Government regulations, the FDA shut down Abbott. We weren't importing formula from the European Union, which has stricter standards than we do. And it's the private sector's fault. You're seeing power moving from the private sector to the government. This guy's utterly incompetent. Can you imagine if rather than Donald Trump, Joe Biden had been president at the peak of this uh, virus? We wouldn't have had uh, vaccines, we wouldn't have masks, we wouldn't have ventilators, we wouldn't have respirators, we wouldn't have had hospital beds, we wouldn't have anything. Uh, he'd be busy blaming the Republicans for the virus. I mean, he blamed Trump for every single death that occurred as a result of the virus. Here's the bottom line. 
This American Marxism cannot work. It does not work. These are people who've never really done anything in the private sector with their lives. They haven't created anything. They haven't built anything. They live in their own bubble. This is a horrific ideology that is alien to the United States. And if they had had luck in passing that Build Back Better nonsense, we'd be in the hole another five to six trillion dollars. We'd be facing a depression today. And by the way, we're in a recession. I don't care what the economists say. I see it. We're in a recession. And if this is handled badly, we're going to be in a depression. The stock market has hit 1932 levels. Interest rates are hitting soon double digits. People cannot afford food and gasoline in the United States of America. We still have supply chain problems six months after they were identified in the United States of America. We had none of this, none of it, when Donald Trump was president of the United States. Vladimir Putin, who is a monster, has nothing to do with any of this. It's not Vladimir Putin and his invasion of Ukraine. It's Biden and the Democrats and their invasion of Washington, D.C. And now we have threats against the Supreme Court, threats to burn down the Supreme Court, violence against Supreme Court justices. This January 6th committee is a pathetic joke. We need a committee, all right. We need a committee on what the Democrat Party and their, their mob has done. 2020, during the summer, their threats now against the Supreme Court of the United States, how they rioted during Donald Trump's inauguration. We can go on and on and on about these people. That's the fact. As far as Joe Biden goes, we're going to have an election in November. If we don't crush this opposition, if we don't win in 2024, America's gone. And the American people need to understand something. We can't win every election. But these people are playing outside the box now. These aren't policy differences. This is a choice about whether you love America or hate America. You can't think of a single thing that Joe Biden and the Democrat Party have said that's positive about our founding, our founding documents, our principles, and the American people, all of us, red-blooded regardless of our color and race. They always put us down. That's it. Want to see more Mark Levin? Go to levintv.com and subscribe now. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. See, the way this works, America... The American Marxists, when it comes to the economy, are socialists. Now, I have disputed those who call this overall socialism because it's Marxism, but their economic plan is different than their cultural plan and so forth and so on. You can't call a cultural plan socialism. It's Marxism. And it gave birth to socialism from an economic perspective. Now that said, you'll see what's happening. You're living it. Prior to Joe Biden uh, being ensconced in the Oval Office, you had these various sectors of the economy, the industrial economy, that were fairly effective and efficient. They were working. The production of oil and gasoline, we were energy independent. The production of electricity, very rare brownouts and blackouts. 
You saw steel mills working, iron mills working, the securing of the border, all these things going on in the nation. Now here's the thing. What these Marxists with their socialist economic policies do is they drain these systems that were built by capitalists prior to these socialists having power or widespread power. So they drain the oil reserves, the strategic oil reserves. They didn't produce it, they drain it. So they they use the oil and gas systems that were created prior to them taking power. They use them up. They devour them, if you will. They drain them. And you can look at the food chain and other chains when it comes to uh, the supply chain of what's taking place. Fertilizer shortage. I can go on and on and on. Here's the point. The point is that depending on the product and depending on the industry, there's a period of time when the movement from free market capitalism to totalitarian socialism is not felt by you. Because they're still, if you will, eating the feed grain, the seeds. And so you don't notice it for a little while. In some areas you won't notice it for a long while. In some areas you'll notice it rather quickly. They unleash such a, an aggressive and brutal assault on our domestic energy production that you're feeling it immediately. It's been rising the price of gasoline ever since Joe Biden took office. Long before the genocidal maniac Putin invaded Ukraine. And again, you can see with the strategic oil reserve, you can see how they have drained the resources of the Border Patrol and ICE in a way that does not empower them or enable them to secure the border and protect the country. You can see how they do this with health care. And on down the road, different products, different industries, different services, the socialist economic policies benefit for a period of time from what was already established under the capitalist system. But then at some point, that capitalist system either doesn't produce or doesn't produce adequately or efficiently or enough what is necessary. And that's why they're going to have brownouts and blackouts in California and other parts of the country. It's going to spread. It's just a matter of time. We're living off, as I said, of the inventiveness, the creativeness, the production of past capitalist endeavors. The entire grid is based on that. And then you have the ideologues who come in and destroy them. 
attack them. And that's what you're seeing in our country. And at the same time, at the same time when they're trying to create this massive federal leviathan beyond what already exists, and promising free things to people who haven't earned them, free things to people who are newly in the United States by the millions. Well, you can't, you can't actually produce that kind of wealth in order to keep up with the imaginations, the ideologies, the, the policies of these Marxists. So you just print money. You just keep printing money. You keep borrowing. You keep spending. And what the hell? The government has to pay itself back, so who cares? Right? And because you don't believe in history, Marx did not believe in history other than to condemn it. The world begins today. So even though you've seen in the past how such spending absolutely destroys countries, it destroyed Germany, countries like Zimbabwe, Venezuela, which had uh, enormous, and still does, oil reserves, but can't get them the hell out of the ground. None of that matters. Because we don't care about history, and even if we did, those people just didn't know how to implement Marxism generally and socialism specifically. We have the people who can do it, don't you know? But you're starting to see the consequences of it, shortages. When you have a war on capitalism and a war on these specific industries, products and services, you can't really fight back. You can't fight back against government regulations and government taxation and government enforcement and penalties and imprisonment and all the rest. You're just a company or you're just an individual or you're just an entrepreneur. You're just a, you're just a customer or a consumer. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because the real robber barons today are in the federal government. They have all the power. They have all the power. There's nothing in the economy that doesn't have some form of taxation or regulation. Nothing. With an all-powerful governmental fist. And anything that might just be out there that I haven't thought of, they will and they'll grab it. They will and they'll grab it. Look what's happening to the stock market. All of you who have private sector pensions of one form or another are affected by the stock market. That's where your money is. In one form or another to some degree or another. That's where your money is. It's getting clobbered. You know where people put their money if they want it to be safe other than precious metals and gems and coins and so forth? In government treasuries, in government notes. So the money moves from the private sector, from shareholders in the stock market, the engine of our capitalist system, investing in all these businesses, to the government. The money moves from the market to funding the government. That's what treasuries are all about. That's what these government instruments, financial instruments are all about. 
Oh, I can be safe now. I'll just buy some treasuries. And that's true to some extent. I'll put the money there. That way I'm not dealing with the stock market. Besides, the government's now paying me more interest than I can earn in the stock market, private sector. And that's a problem. Because you can't have economic growth that way. Tell me this. Name one proposal. One proposal. That the Democrats have made that would grow our economy. One proposal. That would grow our economy. Now we already saw last month the economy is contracting. But you know, none of these statistics probably matter to you because you see it in your own lives that the economy is contracting. That your salary, your income, whatever source, pension, whatever it is, cannot keep up with the cost of living. Even though they have they have fixed, quote unquote, the cost of living figures to to not properly reflect the impact the government's having. And so what I'm saying is, you see what's happening with gasoline prices. You see what's happening with food prices. You see what's happening with shortages. And it's only going to get worse. There's literally nothing the Democrats in Congress or in the executive branch are doing to improve the circumstances and the environment. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing when it comes to energy. And that's the key. Nothing. And they still have a mindset. The more you spend, the less it creates inflation. Seriously? No wonder Joe Biden had to plagiarize in law school in order to pass a test. He's just too dense. Too stupid. Even when he had all of his wits. To understand how the world works. Because he was on the government payroll the vast majority of his life. As have most of these people been. As most of them have been. Are you tired of amusement parks with hidden liberal agendas? Are you sick of woke progressives ruining your family's vacation? Are you white? Well, come on down to Republican Disney. You don't have to be white. That's just a, that was a demographic survey question for marketing purposes. I don't see color. Are you tired of amusement parks full of bigotry? Are you sick of uneducated rubes ruining your family's vacation? Do you crave fun and guilt? Well, come on down to Democratic Disney. We're the only amusement park in America exclusively dedicated to diversity, equity, inclusion, real science, true history, and other morally unambiguous things that we can't debate anymore because of Nazis. Republican Disney has all the wholesome family fun you could want without any of the dangerous propaganda the radical left uses to indoctrinate children. No CRT, no grooming, no drugs or sex or math. Just a place where you can be proud of who you are and where you come from. But by which I mean America. I don't, I do not mean that in a racial way. Here at Democratic Disney, we believe in fighting the man on behalf of the little guy. So join the resistance and team up with the White House, the Senate, the House of Representatives, and all of Hollywood and academia to say, we're the little guy fighting the system. 
You can meet your favorite Republican Disney princesses like Cinderella, a classic American success story who worked hard, didn't complain, and after she met her husband, stopped wearing shoes. Or Ariel from The Little Mermaid, a real nice looking young lady who doesn't talk. Or maybe even Snow White, who, damn it, no, okay, stop. No, I know what you're gonna say, it's not about that. Princesses are an outdated vestige of the patriarchy. Our equitable and gender-inclusive Disney People Acts hold no land or titles and come in all shapes, colors, and healthy sizes. Visit the Hall of Good American Presidents like Trump, Reagan, Second Reagan before he raised taxes, Second Reagan Jr., and the one and only Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves and was a Republican. Yeah, yeah, think about that. He's on our team. Splash Mountain is now Brokeback Mountain. The enchanted tiki room is now the culturally sensitive Pacific Islanders, Desi, and other people slash 1619 project. And Main Street USA is now Main Street Copenhagen, because while I love America, I sure as f don't like it. We took on a ton of new debt when we removed Disney's self-governing status, but we got a lot of cash when we let coal companies strip mine Big Thunder Mountain. Yes, ticket prices have increased this year. That's because of... Russia. Take a ride on the Fiscal Responsibility Coaster, which skyrockets into the air and plunges into the ground depending on which party's in power. Get ready for a fright at the Haunted Mansion. It's a regular mansion, but it's scary because billionaires are an abomination. At Republican Disney, you don't have to worry about some transgender using the wrong restroom. We have guys in goofy outfits check everybody's genitals before and after they leave a restroom or elevator. Visit Yesterdayland, where you can unearth decade-old tweets from Disney characters, change the meaning of the word they used, then execute them outside in an alley. Visit Yesterdayland in the 50s when things were perfect. Or check out Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. It's, it's debt, debt finances, finances the, the entire, entire park. park. The Hall of U.S. Supreme Court Justices is closed due to leaks, but come back next year because we're planning a massive expansion. No snowflakes on these frozen rides, and kids love the tea party teacups. Don't worry, we check everybody's genitals before and after. You want to explore the universe? Well, shame on you. You should visit Don't Go to Space Mountain, where you can yell at an animatronic entrepreneur for trying to build a spaceship with his own money, employing thousands of people. They should be fixing world hunger. Space is for taxpayer money. The Old West Shootout is no longer confined to a single stage. In fact, all visitors are required to show proof of citizenship and open carry throughout the park. Nothing smaller than a 9mm, people. No exceptions. Masks are mandatory, vaccinations are required, and ticket prices are tiered to reflect your personal privilege. Every admission includes a three-hour diversity training and struggle session so that you can better understand your inherent privilege and latent racism. Also, these sessions are self-directed because it's not our job to educate you. You have to do the work. Feeling hungry? Get a taste of food and culture from all over the world with cuisine from America, England, Germany, maybe France. And that'll do it, the whole world. You'll have a blast in little San Francisco. Can you avoid stepping in poop? Can you get a building rezoned? No, you cannot. Visit Little Iraq and be greeted as liberators. Can you find the WMDs? Doesn't matter. Fireworks! Do you like fireworks? Well, every evening, Antifa lights fire to our security guards. Take a stroll. Take a stroll. Through our historic military-industrial complex. Smugglers Run, where you sneak banned books past Republicans. Smugglers Run, where you sneak menthol cigarettes past Democrats. Smugglers Run, where you sneak pregnant women across state lines. Smugglers Run, where you hunt pregnant women crossing state Lines. We've replaced all of the offensive robots in Pirates of the Caribbean with new robots built by forced Uyghur labor in China. Our dark, unmonitored tunnel of love is extremely popular with firebrand conservative politicians. 
Like, too popular. We're a sex-positive resort. Bang wherever you want. Very European. Every day at noon, the park grinds to a halt thanks to the trucker convoy parade. Every day at noon, we have a protest rally where liberal arts majors dress up like ninjas and break shit. We had a protest once. We do not talk about it. Several times each day, we forcibly relocate people waiting in line to other lines they hadn't planned on. It takes longer and you don't wind up where you wanted, but equity. Several times a day, we will inspect your genitals. Any woman found to be pregnant is not allowed on any ride. If you are pregnant, you should not go on this ride. Unless you want to go on this ride. It's a small world after all, which is why we need tariffs or free trade. It's which is it now? What's today? It's a small world after all, so let's divide it equally by force if necessary. Democratic Disney, because the best dreams happen when you're woke. Republican Disney, the happiest race on earth. Please, damn it. Please. Keep doing that.